<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we tap experts on topics that matter most to the modern working woman, whether you are running the show or working your side hustle. We're bringing in leading female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. How's everyone doing? Day two, tired. We got to get you guys a little bit more hyphy for the morning session, but I'm so excited to be here. For you guys who don't know who I am, I'm Jacqueline Johnson. I'm the CEO and founder of Create and Cultivate, and we are so excited to be teaming up with Project Women's this year to host different panels and conversations on the main stage. Um, And today, I'm actually really excited um, because we are doing our first session um, with Kat Sadler. So she will be coming up here shortly for the conversation. Um, But first and foremost, just want to get a mix of the audience. How many of you guys are with brands? Hands up. Oh, just a few of you. And how many of you are buyers? Amazing. Stylist, anyone? Awesome. Well, if you are here, come to our afternoon session later. I'll be interviewing celebrity stylist Marnie, who styles people like Beyonce as well. But without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring Kat on the stage. Let's welcome TV host, journalist Kat Sadler. Welcome, Kat. Just flip your mic on. Hello. Hi, everyone. How's everybody? <laughs> Welcome Hi, to Project. Thanks for having me. Yes. This is my first project. Oh, wow. So you're going to spend a lot of time walking around. This is just one of the many areas at Project, but yeah. every large brand is here. And we're so excited to have you because thanks. not only are you a journalist, a host, but you have your own site, Catwalk, as well, which is mm-hmm. all about fashion. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I was just talking about your amazingly stylish outfit and how we're embracing thanks. the biker shorts. Are we we're embracing them? <laughs> are we doing it? It's it's one of those things. It looks so chic. Like the blazer. <laughs> These are leather. They're fun and they have a zipper. So I, I feel like, you know, it's hitting, I feel safe. It's checking every box. Yeah, thank we you. love it. Thank you. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm going to kick it off. So Kat and I actually spoke, I guess it was a couple years ago now, yeah. which is crazy. It feels like yesterday. In San Francisco. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we just like to hang out everywhere but LA, basically. <laughs> um, but for those of you who might not know, Kat made headlines in December 2017. She quit her job at E! after 12 years when she discovered her male counterpart was earning double your salary. Boo. We all hate that. Um, What was the biggest lesson you learned uh, going through that? And I guess looking back at it today, would you still make that same decision? Wow. Well, um, 
absolutely I would make the same decision. I have had um, zero regrets about, you know, standing up for myself and taking that leap. It wasn't an easy decision by any stretch. I don't know if any of you guys have been in a similar situation or been conflicted over about being at a place of work where you're struggling or there's been a pay disparity issue. But for me, it was like glaringly obvious um, what I had to do when I did find out that the disparity existed, but then also that my employer wouldn't meet me there. So no regrets. I mean, mm. honestly, um, I, I reflect on my time there and it was like, it was a dream job. I had a beautiful um, run at E. I saw the world. I, I, you know, I loved what I did, but you know, sometimes these things happen in your life. And at the time it seems like a complete, like it was like my world was sh shook upside down. I didn't mm -hmm. know if anyone would notice or care, but I left because I knew what I needed to do as a human being and what I stand for. And just on principle, um, but now looking back, it's like, okay, now it all makes sense. Like mm -hmm. I've been able to speak on the issue of equality. I've been able to come to conferences like this. I've, I've been um, using my voice and my reach as much as I possibly can to talk about um, what it's like to be undervalued, what it's like to be underpaid, what it's like to not be promoted when you deserve it. So zero regrets. And what have I learned the most about it? I mean... I mean, it was a bit of an awakening, if I'm really honest. I mean, we weren't having these conversations about, I mean, listen, we all as women champion one another and believe in empowerment, believe in lifting one another up. But I feel like we're in this real season where now we're talking about things that are hard to talk about. We're talking about transparency of pay. We're talking about um, things that we just weren't. And had I not been tipped off to my own situation, you know, I, pro I might be like so many people who are just still going through the motion, still doing their job. We as women, like, especially like we're team players. We're lucky to have it. So we're going to work nights. We're going to work weekends. We're going to be that team player. Oh yeah. And well, we might not get a raise or we might not be paid as much as him, or we might not all, you know, those days are over. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, I feel yes. good about where we are now. And I, I mean, I think your story has probably sparked so many women to ask those questions, make those tough decisions. I mean, obviously yours was on a very public level, but I think privately, you know, your story has probably inspired so many women um, to kind of come forward and ask those tough questions. Um, so I think it's so incredible. Um, and then obviously, like you said, since then you've become a vocal advocate for equal pay. You've been behind the Me Too movement, obviously the Women's March. Um, and you've also been really busy. You have a lot of projects going on as well. So you run your own production company, Lovebug Entertainment, um, and produced your first documentary, Women Like Us, in 2016. Um, why was it important to give that behind-the-scenes look at the entertainment industry? And did you see? do you see a shift in the industry starting to happen? And can you talk a little bit about that project specifically for people who might not know? Um, I see a shift for sure. I think there's an awareness now that wasn't there before. Um, I think people are speaking up in ways they haven't before. I think companies are making change. Whether or not it's inherently like a good intention or whether or not it's from a PR standpoint, like, oh, shit, we got to pay people the same now, <laughs> you know, or else we'll be outed. So whether or not it's fundamentally coming from a good place, I do think like people are, are waking up and companies are waking up and that change is certainly shifting. And yes, since I left E, I mean, I was on TV five days a week for 20 years. That's not an exaggeration. So 
um, when I left in the last two years, I've had to really build, um, like so many of you who have your own companies and your designers or whatever brings you here today. I had to go, all right, I have to make a kind of a 180. And what am I going to do? Like, obviously I, I still appear on TV. I want to do that, but what, what do I want to stand for? What do I want to work on? Um, what does that look like? So I've been in this whole period working for myself where I've been building. And so, yes, that includes my, my website. It includes, you know, the, the film I did a while back, um, with my mom for her foundation, which is also called women like us. So that came before actually leaving E. So I've always been, um, not, just curious, but very much a proponent of moving women forward. That That's always been part of me. And my mom for sure instilled that in me. She has this charity called Women Like Us. And so my mom was always like a feminist before feminists were cool and, and a pioneer <laughs> for like standing up for yourself. And so my mom certainly ingrained that in me. And that definitely played into my decision um, to leave my job. Um, but I've been building. I mean, the, the biggest thing I have been putting most of my energy into, um, does any probably does everybody have a podcast I feel like everybody's got one today <laughs> everybody has a podcast yes but and you create and cultivate has a pot I mean this new space in media where anybody and everybody can like have a stage to discuss whatever they want whether it's crime or whether it's fashion or whether it's family or whatever literally just crime and fashion like crime I feel like fashion. those are the two <laughs> yeah. no mine is called naked and and and, and what I wanted to do after covering fashion and entertainment and all this for years was to have a space for women in particular to just literally take off their amazing clothes and just get naked metaphorically in the sense that, you know, stilettos, amazing. We're all here for fashion. We all love to look good. We all love a good red lip. We all love a dope earring. We like, this is like, that's our, that's fun. And that's the way we express ourselves, And that's so important. But the flip side of that is underneath all that, who are we, right? Because mm. no matter how many clothes you got in your closet or what amazing bag you're now wearing, if the internal work isn't done, then you're over it in a day anyway and you don't really care and you spend all this money and then you're on to the next, right? So for me, Naked, my podcast is where I put a lot of my energy into just um, exploring women's real stories and the shares and the vulnerability and the like letting it all hang out. Um, cause I think we, I think we all kind of need that. I think it builds us up and makes us feel better when we're all connected on a real level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're all here for that real talk. I think everyone's kind of over the glossy yeah. perfection. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your podcast a little bit. So, um, I saw that you had Kate Bosworth on, mm -hmm. um, but you've, what guests have you had on and what has been some of the most interesting sort of things that you've uncovered? Well, we do my podcast in my bedroom and that was really important to me because, um, I think a setting can really like evoke, invoke, evoke, um, a certain energy. And I wanted people to feel really comfortable. So I was like, well, I have to, if I'm going to let people in my house, in my bedroom, looking at the dog hair all over the floor and the, <laughs> like kids coming and going and like judging my space. Like I have to be a little open and vulnerable. If I expect my guests to be really open in a way that they aren't normally. So the first part was just setting the stage. And then, yeah, it's been wild because people like Kate Bosworth or Olivia Munn, I've got great guests in the pipeline that we're soon to be taping, but everyone kind of comes in my room. And before I know it, I mean, I, and literally wine, I think has only happened once or twice, but it's like, <laughs> before I know it, like people are crying and it's like a therapy session and people are talking about toxic relationships and they're talking about 
traumatic childhood experiences and they're talking about how divorce affected them uh, growing up. Like people are just, I feel like people need to like purge. And I think not only whether you're an A-list movie star purging, but the listeners, we all need to feel less alone. Mm -hmm. So when you're like, oh, wow, she struggles with this. She struggles with anxiety. She's been depressed. She is going sober because she drinks too much. Then the people listening are like, yeah, I needed to hear that. I Maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe I'm not alone. Maybe I'm not suffering in silence. So that's kind of the point. Yeah. So now, you know, you are a true entrepreneur. You have multiple things that you're starting. Like you said, you've just been building. Um, we have a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, shop owners, things like that here today. What were some of the trials and tribulations with launching some of these businesses? Like what have been some of the hardships that you've gone through or lessons that you've learned along the way? Things take time. That's been hard for me because, you know, you can have a great idea and a beautiful vision. Um, it's been hard being patient. Um, I was on like a daily show every day. So my work was like, what's the headline? Do the interview, get the show on the air and then it's over. And so then you start a new day. And now I'm on this trajectory of like, you really, it takes time to plant seeds. Mm. You have to be patient. You have to, I mean, I'm booking all of my own guests. I'm, you know, I, I work with a production company. Um, who's doing my podcast, but so much of that is just, you know, it's that hustle again and it's DMing people and getting them to say yes. And then it's like getting to reps and getting to ages. So it's just um, the minutia to get what you want is just part of it. It ain't glamorous. It's not sexy. Um, no one can necessarily even do that for you. Some of the jobs you just have to do yourself. You know, I have a booking agent who reaches out to people, but you know, like so many people, she never gets responses. So I have to like get in there. I've got to be involved, but I do love that. I yeah. love that. And I'm, I'm also, um, I'm on the other side of TV now developing a couple unscripted shows with various networks. And that's just, you know, that requires, you know, things going through the corporate ladder and getting greenlit and, um, finding a showrunner and finding a product. So Everything takes time. And for me, this is very new. Yes. So well, I'm trying to be patient. I just love that you have to slide into people's DMs as well. That makes Hell me yeah. feel a lot better. Oh, God, yes. Are you kidding me? And I I get unseen a lot and oh. they don't respond a lot. But sometimes they do. I was just telling my assistant, Katie, who's here, I'm like, all right, on the plane ride home, we're just going to DM everybody. And like nine out of 10 people won't respond, but one person will. And that's our win. That's I mean, that's cool. literally all of our strategies. So right. I love that also you're doing that as well. That's of amazing. Course. And I love that you said things take time. I think there's some great saying that says behind every overnight success is 10 years of hard work. Yeah. And I think that's so accurate. I think especially with Instagram, everyone can think, oh my God, they're killing it. They're cr It's like that yeah. killing it, crushing it mentality um, on the gram. But behind the scenes, it's a lot of like unseen, you know, messages and a lot of like hard work and follow up and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. So one of the things I want to talk about since, you know, you are this advocate for equal pay is what advice you have for women that are maybe at a company, working a job, unsure how much their colleagues maybe make. Like, what advice do you have for them to kind of navigate that water if they're feeling like, I think I am underpaid mm -hmm. um, and I am undervalued, but I also don't want to necessarily, and you talked about this a lot with Jason Kennedy, like it wasn't his fault. Yeah. You weren't, there was no issue with him. Mm -hmm. He didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. But how you address that with your fellow colleagues or your boss or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, well, it's certainly complicated. It's definitely layered, right? There's so many moving pieces in, in this, are we paid the same issue? Um, the first thing is, you know, it is well within your rights to ask, right? Like in my case, it was brought to my attention and then I went out to do my homework. Um, but if you don't know, you can ask. Now, listen, they might say, 
it's none of your business, but at least you can ask, right? Like that starts on you taking ownership over, over your financial situation and just saying, well, do you feel safe sharing it with me? Men are not the enemy. They are very much our allies. And I often get asked like, how can men help in this fight? Well, they can be transparent. Mm -hmm. Like that's all you're not wrong. Like history is what it is. We're all, you know, evolving and progressing and our cultures and our times are changing and we're including more and all the things we're moving in the right direction. Um, but men aren't the problem that the structure, the systematic pervasive discrimination is the problem. So what the men can do is just be honest, right? Mm -hmm. Like just tell us what you're making or, or whatever. Now, not every case is the same. So I would also say like, just make sure um, you know, there are a lot of variables. There's education, there's experience, there's, you know, not every job is the same just because he's a dude and you're a woman doesn't mean per se we are supposed to make the same, same amount of money. So obviously make sure it's an apples to apples situation. And then I always tell people to really um, record your wins, right? Before you can go and ask for a promotion or before you get in there to negotiate what you think you're worth, what you believe your worth is, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? You can't just say, I'm worth a lot, right? So you have to, as you go, here are my wins. Here's what the clients say about me. Here's what I did for your company. Here, like, keep record of that. And if I did anything wrong, I think it's like that overt communication with your supervisor or your boss or whoever that is. Constantly knock on the door. It's okay to say, hey, here's where I'm at, but you know where I want to be. So I'm just cluing you in. And like, I'd love to have this promotion or I'd really like to move up in this way. And I was always like, head down, do my work. Your abilities will speak for themselves. And then one day you'll, you know, it all pay off. That's just not enough anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think the onus is on us very much to keep those records of the wins the, the, the market rate, I think, I think there's more information out there too, as Definitely. to what maybe you should be making for your position in your job, in said market, do that research, see what the market rate is for your job. What should your salary look like? And if you're going to a new company, I think it's okay today to say, can I be sure that if I take a job here that you're paying men and women the same. Like if, if the guy is coming in for the same job with the same experience, the same similar, right? Nothing's exactly the same. Similar profile. Can, can I be assured that you're paying men and women equally? I think it's okay to ask that, you know, today. I think that's a great tip. And I really love that. And I definitely agree. Like the onus is definitely like create a case study for yourself. I think that's amazing um, advice. So we are at projects. So I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about fashion. Yes. So brands you love that you that you wear all the time or that you go back to time after time. Well, full transparency again, boy, was I spoiled when you're on TV every day. I had a stylist. I had like new clothes coming and going. Now I'm like, oh, shit, I gotta go shopping. Figure this out myself. Um, brands that I come back to again and again. Uh, let's see. You know, some are like very like daily wear uh, and then some are like my go to couture red carpety things, but like for the day in and day out, like I've been living in my air force ones. I mean, that's just like, I, I'm loving the sneaker vibe. I love God. That's a fun departure from wearing stilettos for so many years. I'm here I'm, for this trend. <laughs> I am here for the sneaker trend. Uh, the, the super dad sneaker. I'm embracing it. Um, brands though. Let's see. I, 
I love like um, I do shop a lot on Revolve. So a lot of those brands like LPA I wear a lot of. These biker leather shorts are RTA, which I like that brand a lot. I, I'm a denim girl through and through. I don't think I'm from India. I'm from the Midwest. So I've loved a blue jean my entire life. I love that we can style those now with like really like embellished blinged out shoes or boots and a sweatshirt or you can you can wear jeans 24 hours a day if you want to and you know um so I love I wear a lot of redone denim Mm. a lot of that I wear a lot of frame denim I would love to honestly I've always said if I ever did start my own fashion capsule collection or anything it would be probably denim yes definitely I love love that dress up Mm. or dress down yeah how would you describe your personal style um I think I'm like, I'm somewhat of a minimalist. Like I'm, I don't over accessorize ever. I used to just wear little bitty studs and ear candy. I really am liking this oversized, like acrylic earrings, the Colt Gaia earrings, the mm. like big earring trend I'm, I'm loving. But besides that, I, I think my personal style is rather relaxed. I have two teenage boys. So like functionality is important. Yes. And now that I work at home, I mean, if I'm guilty of anything, it's like, I got to, I got to turn up the notch. I got to turn it up a little because I'm getting too comfortable. <laughs> yes. That's very true. Um, for working so I would say chic, like a little, little like moto leather vibe, a little, a little edgy, but less is more. Yes, definitely. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the catwalk. Which year, what year did you start the catwalk? I started the catwalk in, I want to say maybe 2000. The blog was maybe 2013, mm-hmm. and then it was a full-blown website in maybe 2015, 16. And then when I left E, I put a lot more resources into it. And you were really ahead of the curve in terms of celebrities kind of doubling down on creating their own content and really building a brand besides themselves. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that strategy and what the catwalk is today. Yeah. Um, the strategy was, you know, I think there are a lot of people who have different opinions on this. But at the end of the day, if Instagram were to blow up today, what do you have that's yours? Where is your own IP? What belongs to you? I think if you are an entrepreneur, uh, the best advice I've ever gotten is you better own something yourself. Um, because who knows, right? With social media, thank God for it. It's a great portion of my income, by the way. You know, many of you are probably monetizing, and that's been huge for me during this transitional season in my career. But the catwalk was really about being a live organism. Um, Some people say blogs are done. Some people say, who goes to a website anymore and actually reads content? Might be true. But for me, it's an extension of my brand. That is, um, I wanted to, from a, a standpoint of expression, really kind of share the cornerstones of what the catwalk is. And for me... Um, it's women empowerment. So if women come to my website, I want them to feel good. I want them, you know, it's a space for anyone to come, like feel powerful, feel sexy, feel strong, feel vulnerable. They're strengthened that. Like, so I have a lot of buzzwords on my website. I have something called cat formations, which is something I've always been like that girl who like reads affirmations every morning and does meditation. And I'm declaring what you want is really manifesting your future. So I'm like that annoying eternal optimist. So a lot of those cat formations are on the website. So I wanted people to come there and feel inspired. Um, There's a whole fashion element, which is just what I'm loving, what I'm wearing. Here it is. You can shop it if you want. You don't have to. To be honest, that's not a big part of my business, but it, it lives there. 
And then the interviews came just recently. So having been a journalist for 20 years and conversation being so powerful and meaningful, I thought, well, I want to have conversations that live on the website. So when I left E, that was the first thing I actually did was start interviewing people I just wanted to, not because it was my assignment, but who do, who do, who inspires me? Who do I find interesting? Who do I think my, people will want to know more about? And so I included those naked conversations on the website as well. I think that's such great advice is really thinking about, I mean, who remembers Vine? RIP. Um, but like everyone who built their career on Vine was like, wait, what? Now what? What do you mean it's shutting down? Yeah. And like, I mean, hopefully the gram never goes away, right? But at the same time, owning your website, your channels, your content, I think is such great advice. Um, so you talked a little bit about your mom, but who are some other women that inspire you mm. right now? Oh my God. There are so many kick-ass women. I literally say it all the time. I'm like, oh, what a privilege to be female because I just am so turned on by what everybody's doing right now. Um, I will forever be inspired by Michelle Obama. Um, yes. They go low, we go high. Like I live <laughs> by that. It's hard to do that in actuality every day, but that that's like always in the back of my mind. I mean, Oprah was the reason I got into journalism at all because she was, uh, she was in broadcasting, which I always knew I wanted to do, but she was, so completely authentically herself. And, and I was like, that's my mom was, I was like, you're going to be the next Oprah. I was like, that job's taken. <laughs> but, but I think in no matter what industry we're in or what job we have, there's such a gift in just doing you yes. and not imitating other people and, Oh, they're having success. So let me try that. Or so I think Oprah taught me that in a lot of ways, like all I've got is me. I, I'm not going to look a certain way. I'm not going to be seven feet tall and a model with big boobs and blonde. Like, that's not going to be me. Like, just hone in on the power that you have within yourself. And that is your power because there is no other you. Um, so Oprah, forever. Ugh, forever. Forever. Meryl yeah. Streep. I mean, I could go yeah. on. I'm just, yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap with some rapid fire questions. Okay. Are you ready? Mm. Okay. My life motto is... My life motto, I think, that served me the very most is being in the now, being present. Um, I got a tattoo several years ago, almost like 10 years ago. It's actually my least favorite tattoo aesthetically, but it's like to be in the moment between the points, like be in the now, like bring your eyes up, be where you are, be like the past is over, by the way. So many of us live in the past in our heads. The future isn't promised. We don't even have tomorrow. But my life motto is like, there really is so much peace and joy and creativity that comes from just being exactly where you are. Looking people in the eyes. Oh my God. Like, like are we still doing that? You know, it's, it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be like in this frenetic, chaotic I have to tell my kids all the time. I'm like, slow down. This is it. This is all we have. And then by the way, tomorrow, if we're lucky enough, that'll be the now. So be there then, you know, that's amazing advice. Yeah. Success to me is these days it's living on my own terms. Um, success, you know, when you can fully and freely call the shots in your life and do you and not necessarily answer to anyone and be really convicted in like your, your virtues and your values and your principles and go through your days like that. That's pretty, pretty cool. And then I have one more and then we're going to do audience Q and A. I think we have time for a few questions, yeah. but true equality is. Equality is just a fundamental basic human right, right? Whether 
you're black, purple, brown, whether you're you're straight, gay, or otherwise, whether you're, I don't care where you're born on the planet, like it is a human right that we all have equality. We're not there. We got a long way to go, but it's what we should. That is the world in which I dream we can all live. It's just, it's a basic human right. It's just principle. It's what is fair. It is what is right. And unfortunately, through society and where we've been the last hundred years, you know, we're all fighting our our own fights in that regard. Um, But that's what it should be. We all deserve to be treated exactly the same. Absolutely. So we have time for questions. So hands up front row. And if you could just stand up and introduce yourself, that would be great. Yes. Um, Leslie Perry from Iowa. So Midwest, yeah. Um, Midwest. Yes. Do you have any advice on raising two boys? Let's go parenting. Is that for me? Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely for you. Do you have two boys? <laughs> two and one. So I am oh, behind oh my God. you, but I've, I'm taking any advice oh, I can get. Man. Well, congratulations oh, wow. for getting out of the house. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You're dressed. That's impressive. Wow. Advice. It's so interesting because my kids are 14 and 18 now. And I'm in this phase where everything is so different than it was when they were that age because kind of back then when they're toddlers, it's about keeping them alive. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, make sure they eat, make sure they sleep, make sure their diapers changed. Um, And now I'm like, oh my God, what is this vaping and social media (laughs) and bullying and weed and porn? I mean, literally that is my life. That's the key source of my stress. Earmuffs. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, let's talk real talk. I mean, that is literally what's going on in my house. Not going on. But the conversations being had. Um, so, God, what would the advice be at that age? I mean, keep them close while you can. <laughs> that would be my advice. And and I don't know if, like, you're if you you work, you have like. I mean, the other thing is that I think that served me as a working mom is just to, again, it comes back to be where you are. Like, you can't like you can't operate with that guilt that you're away. And of course, that's always going to be a thing. But just when you're with them, be with them. And when you're here, be here. And that's okay. And I think kids adjust really well. And my kids have been great because it wasn't like they just bounced through sitters their whole lives, but they also weren't just with me attached all the time, every day. So they really learned they're very well adjusted, I will say. And they do well in different situations because they've been exposed to that. And so that's okay when you're gone, I think. Amazing. No. I think we have time for one more question. Uh, my name is Emily and I'm from L.A., um, I'm just wondering, like, do you have any advice about, like, balancing your time? There's anything about balance uh, between, like, family, like, mm. you know, you're married, you have kids, and business, and also still maintaining a healthy social life. Like, how do you find that healthy balance or boundaries? Yeah. I'm curious on this one, too. Balance is such a good word. It's an interesting word. It's um, It comes up a lot, I think, especially for women. Again, this is not anti-male, but it's like, I feel like, you know, we all have so, so much on our plate. Not that the guys don't, but um, especially if you are a parent and, you know, you got all that on your plate. I think self-care is paramount. I think that it's okay to put yourself first in a lot of those situations. I think meditating or working out or reading, and I know like, it's almost like, sounds like I'm being counter like advice here because you you're being asked to do so many things. It's so easy to be distracted. But if I did not take care of myself, I would be no good to anyone. I wouldn't be a 
decent boss. I wouldn't be a decent mom. I wouldn't be a good girlfriend. Like I have to check in with yourself and that's okay. And don't make apologies for that. And if you need to go to the gym or even 10 minutes lately, cause I can't go do some days I get my 75 minutes of yoga in that's rare, but it's even if it's 15 minutes of like literally walking out your door and looking at trees, <laughs> that sounds so silly, but you know, when we all like have it bubbling up and you're getting stressed and the kids are pulling on you or the calls aren't getting answered or you have emails to get back to like literally step outside. It's that it's free and look at a tree. And that's the power of now, which is my life motto is like, there is an exercise in that of smelling a flower and looking at the, Oh my God, there are clouds. Like what if tomorrow there weren't there wasn't a blue sky. I mean, it sounds so <laughs> meta and hippie and maybe I'm going a little off the no, rails. I, right now, I love it. But there is peace in that. There is a calm in that. And that can serve you, I think, when you have so much on your plate. And then it comes back to, again, that same old vice, like be where you are. So mm-hmm. when you're with your kids, be with your kids. When they're your job. And then learn to say no. I mean, I think that's another thing that's come Definitely. into play for me as I've gotten older. Um, say no. Like, you don't have to do everything. So make sure the things you are doing are the things you want to do. And there's a value in it for yourself. I love that. Boundaries are so... out of time. Sorry. No, that was great. Boundaries are so important. And really just grounding yourself, it sounds like. You know, I love the idea of getting outside. So simple, so easy, but something we probably do not do. Well, thank you so much, Kat. Be sure to check out her podcast, Naked. And again, let's give it up for Kat Sadler. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. Thank you. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. When I first got the package at my doorstep, I could not wait to open it. It was the perfect pick-me-up after a long day at the office. But the pretty packaging is just the beginning. The box is literally brimming with goodness from eye masks to an awesome lunch tote and most importantly, an Amika ceramic styler straightener, which I am obsessed with. We have worked with Amika before and they are incredible. Can you believe you get all of this in one box for just $49.99 and it's delivered to your door? Each FabFitFun box includes products that add up to over $200 in value. Talk about a bang for your buck. And I know this because my box also included the Complexion Perfecting Detoxification Pads by Dr. Nassif, which definitely costs a pretty penny and your girl is currently loving and using them before bedtime. But If you're still thinking, Jacqueline, that is still outside my budget, don't worry, girl, because I've got you. You can use coupon code WORKPARTY for $10 off your first box at fabfitfun.com. And if you needed even more added value, when you subscribe, you have access to exclusive videos from boss babes that are killing the game, such as Venus Williams and Giada De Laurentiis, who we have also had speak at Create and Cultivate events, and they are incredible and inspiring. It's amazing. It is very, very similar to our CNC Insiders program. Plus, FabFitFun supports female-founded companies and charities like City of Hope, which you cannot go wrong. You too can gift yourself the seasonal box with full-size products, yes, full-size, by signing up for yours today. Remember, use coupon code WORKPARTY to get $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. Coupon code WORKPARTY to get $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. Hello, everyone. Hi. Sorry, we're starting a little bit late. Um, my name is Jacqueline Johnson. I'm the CEO and founder of Create and Cultivate. We are so excited to be here at Project Show for our final session. I am really, really excited because I'm going to be interviewing a Emmy-nominated super stylist to the stars. 
Um, she has a few sort of up and coming clients you may have heard of, like Beyonce and Kendall Jenner, no big deal. And we are going to sit and talk to her about her personal style, philosophy on styling, breaking all the boundaries, and creating all the trends that we know and love on the internet. So, can we welcome Marnie Senefonte to the stage? I am, yeah, we got the leopard trend memo, which is very exciting. Just flick your mic on. I just want to make sure. Yes. Yes. So I'm so testing, excited to testing. have you here. Um, have you been to Project before? I think I was at Magic. Yeah. Yeah. One time before. Amazing. Yeah. So obviously fashion, fashion everywhere. So so excited to have you since you are, again, one of the <laughs> top stylists out there right now creating all the trends. Um, so let's start at the beginning, like your inspiration and all okay. that good stuff. So your grandmother was the head pattern cutter at Diane von Furstenberg yes. um, in yes. Pennsylvania where you grew up. Yes. So tell us about that relationship with her. And was that what sparked your interest in fashion to begin with? think so she was you know she was always in the sewing room and we're from an we're Italian family so like all the grandchildren used to get dropped off at my grandmother's house so you know just to talk to her and hang with her we would always be in the sewing room and whatnot and then on Saturdays we would get dropped off at the the show um the Diane von Furstenberg I guess factory yeah and we would play in the the clothing bins and everything so she was ready to kill us, but she was so talented and she made everything that she wore and she made all of our, you know, all of our alterations and, and whatnot. So I think that was like my first foray. foray into it. And my mother also owned a clothing, a children's clothing store. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So, so surrounded at every yes, level. Exactly. Uh, but my father is the biggest fashionista of them all. Like he loves like clothes. So. Amazing. And he's just <laughs> passionate about it. He doesn't even work in it. No. I love it. I love a good dad <laughs> inspiration. Yeah. Um, so I think the thing that's interesting about the styling world is that it feels very elusive. Like, I think people don't understand how they can get into it, how they start it. Right. And, you know, one of the things we said in an earlier session today is it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. And for you, you've been styling. Or 20. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I was going to say you've been styling for over 20 years and you started as a styling assistant for Norma Kamali. Um, can you talk a little bit about starting out in the industry right. and specifically how that job impacted your career? Right. Well, I actually started off as Norma's um, like assistant, her right hand. And I also worked in her clothing store uh, in New York City. And um, it was, I didn't even know this was a job. I mean, it really wasn't a job. It was only a job for people like that worked at Vogue and whatnot. Like I just didn't know that it was a job. So I would work with people that um, I would work with a lot of publicists and a lot of editorial stylists. And um, once I got to know what they were doing, like there was, <laughs> it's a crazy story, but Salt and Peppa wouldn't get dressed <laughs> for some like Us magazine photo shoot or something. So I'm begging Norma. I'm like, Norma, can I please bring them something to wear? Because their publicist came in and was freaking, freaking out. out. Yeah. Exactly. So she said, go ahead. So I just brought like one outfit for like Salt, Spinderella, Salt and Pep. Right. So <laughs> I brought it down to like Chelsea, Chelsea Piers and they loved it. And like from there, they like asked me to style them. And I was like, ah, amazing. <laughs> so I kind of learned it on the road. I kind of learned it just by. You had to stick your neck out a little bit. Exactly. So I, I think that like when I was in college, I went to school for film up in Boston. So I was like, I didn't even know this was a job. I just knew that I wanted to do something in fashion and film. So like music videos and all that kind of stuff. So talk us through day to day what a stylist does. Like, what does it entail? Is every day the same? Is every day totally different? Right. Is every day salt and pepper? Like, what's no. happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, it depends on what kind of project that I'm working on. Like if I'm working on a Beyonce project, there's no sleep <laughs> at all. So when I work with her, there's so much preparation that comes into things that it's like, you know, I'm up at five in the morning. I get up at five. I have to go to the gym. And then from there, it's either looking at boards or finding inf inspiration or trying to figure. It depends on like what we're working yeah, with. Like it's when like I work a with like, styling an outfit is very different than styling an entire right. experience. Right. So, but for Ken, like when I work with Kendall, um, I still put the same kind of boards together. So like if we're, like for fashion week that's coming up um, in September and like for the whole month, what I'll do is we'll like share a Pinterest board and we'll like put together like, you know, what's the vibe? What are we feeling? What's in the market? You know, I kind of check the market to see what's going on. And then I'll come up with kind of like a little bit of a look and then that'll um, make us focus on what we're pulling out in showrooms or calling in through um, designers and whatnot. So it's truly a creative process. You know, you're yeah. really putting together the yeah. inspiration boards, coming up with the looks, obviously getting approval, right. and then having to do the outreach to, I'm sure, a lot of different yes. partners. Which um, is... A lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing that I loved that I read was, you know, again, going back to when you worked with Norma Kamali, she did a ban on black. Yes. For one season. And you said that you've never worn black since, since. then. Never. I don't own one piece of clothing that's black. Why? Not, not a pair of underwear, a bra, socks, anything. Nothing. Nothing. And is that because you feel like it's too easy? It is. Easy. I mean, I think it would, it is really, it, it is too easy, but it, it's also made, it's also forced me to use, to just be creative every morning, you know, because right. you could really, especially living in New York and I've been, I lived in New York my majority of my career. I've only been in LA a couple of years, but um, it's really easy to just throw on <laughs> something black and head out. How do you like LA? Oh, I love LA. <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, back. I'm, I'm still back and forth. Back yeah, and forth. yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, so people in the audience might not know that you actually, you know, pre where you are today, had a long career as a stylist in sort of the music side of the yep. business. Um, you've, you know, worked with iconic musicians such as Lauren Hill and P. Diddy. How did you get your, you know, foot in the door besides the salt and pepper shoe? Right. Like, how did you figure out your way in? Right. And then also keep these very high profile clients happy? Right. Oh, that's another story. <laughs> um, I think that uh, the way that I got in the door was um, uh, Lauren Hill saw something that I did with another artist because I was working with Puff Daddy's first baby mama. Her name is Misa. She's actually an amazing stylist and she's still a really, really good friend. And she was having a baby and I worked, you know, I was helping her while she was in her ninth month. And... Um, so then there was something that we, she saw that I think that Lauren saw. It was for a total video. It was crazy. We made these jeans. Anyway, long story short, that's how I got with Lauren. And from Lauren, it was just like, I've never had a book. Like back in the day, you used to have books. Like instead of like your Instagram page would be a paper book that agents would send out to clients so you can see their book and whatnot. But to this day, I still don't have, I've never had a book. And it was just word of mouth. Like, from her to Alicia Keys, Mary J. Blige. I mean, everybody. Nas, <laughs> Common, Q-Tip, like everybody. <laughs> Just a few, a few small names. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, truly, do you feel like now Instagram is the way everyone's wow. doing it? It's like yeah. no one has a portfolio anymore. Which you don't need to have anymore. I mean, and truth be told, it's kind of, um, it's a blessing and a curse, I would say. Because 
everybody's a stylist now, right? <laughs> like, right. Everybody's a stylist because everybody could kind of put looks together and it's amazing. But the actual, the actuality of it, you know, everybody could take a picture from this magazine and a picture from this and a picture from that and create a look. But yeah, okay, go and actually do that now. <laughs> you know, so the actuality of it is a lot more difficult than people think. So um, so I want to talk about um, some of your bigger name clients. You know, we talked okay. a little bit about Beyonce and Kendall. I mean, how did Beyonce happen? Tell us the story. Like, how did that well, Beyonce, I've been... Okay, so our... So Lorraine Schwartz, this amazing jeweler, um, she was always worked with Beyonce. So I would always see Miss Tina or Ty in, um, Miss Tina is her mother and Ty was her stylist for years and years and years, like since kids. Um, and I would always see them and we always like, you know, they were like family to me, you know, and they were always doing so many things that Miss Tina or Ty would call me if they were in the middle of the tour and they had like an American Express commercial they had to shoot. So they knew that I got the aesthetic and, you know, they liked my aesthetic. So I would always pop in and pop in and out with them whenever they needed me. And then it just came up to the, um, right before Lemonade, uh, Ty was kind of like, he's his own superstar, you know what I mean? So he was kind of like doing that and, and Miss Tina was just like, you know, ah! <laughs> so Beyonce called me and she was like, you know, do you want to, let's do, this is a pretty intense project and whatnot. And I was like, of course. Amazing. And so from there I did um, the Super Bowl and then we went into Lemonade, the Formation World Tour, and then everything else, Coachella. And like you said, <laughs> yeah, it's not about styling an outfit. You know, you've said, quote, it's crafting her icon iconography, which is massive. So the creative process there is not just, here's an outfit for this. It's the full right. look. It's right. the full storytelling. Do you feel like that's the way styling is moving into storytelling in larger um, ways? Or do you feel like that's mostly a Beyonce thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of feel like it could be, it could be, um, across the board, depending on which way you want to use your, what, what you're doing, you know, like I think for Beyonce, she has such well thought out, um, ideas and concepts. And there's so, there's so much story behind her music that all that kind of, the, the wardrobe kind of comes into play with it as well. It was funny cause my friend Heidi Bivens, she, um, does the costumes for Euphoria. And I was, I was writing her a text on my way here and I was telling her how insanely proud I am of her because you can watch Euphoria without listening to Euphoria and you can tell by their clothing who the characters are and what they're going through. Mm. And that's kind of... Storytelling. Storytelling through clothing. Yeah. So, you know, Kendall doesn't need to tell a story. I'm a supermodel. I'm gorgeous. <laughs> I have the best, best body, you know? But it's like we do trend, we do more trend with her, you know, like we're thinking like, okay, or whatever I'm feeling or whatever she's feeling, you know, that's more like trend forecasting. Beyonce always has a story behind her. It's not so much, it's not so much the, you know, I don't know. The, the, she's the setting moment. the trend, right? right? Like she, yeah, right. exactly. And, and there's always like, if you listen to her music and whatnot, like you have to hear that to know what the clothes are supposed to be. And we're always telling a story like on the tour and stuff like that. So it's a little bit different then. 
So you mentioned that, you know, Miss Tina was saying, we love your style. I think what's interesting is that, you know, in saying that you dress the likes of Kendall and Beyonce, what has happened is some of the outfits that you put them in has sparked trends far beyond what you probably had imagined. So for instance, like Beyonce wearing extremely puffy sleeves and a lot of the lemonade stuff. And then you go to a Zara or a Topshop or whatever. And it's like every puffy sleeve, every yellow dress, every like whatever. How has that effect, has that effect kind of, washed over you and do you really start to see like wow that dress now is everywhere right um I think it's awesome like I think it's so fun and it's so like it's it's so awesome to see that and it's um because the the puffy sleeve I mean my entire team my 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 team was just like a nut like Beyonce's dressers like the people that we go on tour with they're like another puffy sleeve I'm like oh like they were so mad with all the puffy sleeves, but I felt like it was such a signature for formation and antebellum. And it was like very much where where we were. Um, and then like a year later to see it everywhere. It's really exciting, I think. It's amazing. <laughs> it's a huge impact. Um, so personally talking about you, I, you know, on your Instagram, you post these really amazing outfits. You blend a lot of things. But one of the things that I noticed is that you have a lot of fun. Like you're yeah. funny. Yeah. You don't take it too seriously. No. Obviously fashion could be one of those worlds that is like very, right. you know, like you can't sit here. It can feel right. like that. Right. Um, why was that important to you to kind of portray that accessibility, even though you're working with some of the most inaccessible people, right. you know, in the world? Well, it's funny because I was on the other end of it before there was social media. I was the outsider, you know, like yeah. I was like all of my clients that I worked with, like when I was still working with all of these people 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but it wasn't, they weren't, they weren't even welcome into the fashion industry so much. So I know what that feels like. And I think it really sucks. <laughs> and I think it's really great now that, that everyone has their own magazine. Everybody's Instagram is their own, is their own Vogue, is their own bazaar, is their own anything. So I think that's really amazing. And I've always been the kind of person, even like I started with Lauren Hill, which you know, we would mix couture clothing with like Timberlands and like, you know what I mean? Like we, it was never, it, it, I think that it's not fair that not everyone has access to things. Like I find more things at Forever 21 and Zara and Topshop and all those stores. So the Guardian called you the Anna Wintour of the social media age. That's insane. Crazy. It really is. I really, um, I need bangs. I need that. I need glasses. Somebody get my sunglasses. <laughs> so you've really created this bold new fashion aesthetic. So one question I have for you is where do you find inspiration? Obviously people are going to you for inspiration, but where do you look to? I honestly find inspiration through other people. <laughs> I, I, when I live in, like when I go to New York and my, my apartment, I like sit on my stoop and I just like watch people go by. Like even here, like this is so fun. Just watching, pe like just people watching. It's hard to do that in LA because nobody walks and whatever, but that's where social media comes through. So you, you know, you're scrolling through different people and whatnot. And, and that's kind of really where I do get inspiration. I mean, sometimes if I'm at a museum or something and I see colors, I'll get like, oh, I've got to do this, you know. But um, it's really just about like I just pick up little pieces and traveling and seeing different styles and different places and whatnot. It's always just stealing a little bit. That's what a stylist does. We just steal a little from here and here and here and here and here. Exactly. Yeah. And so 
now that you're stealing all these cute, you know, little pieces, <laughs> have you ever thought of putting them all together to create your own fashion line? I know we were just talking about that earlier. I'm like, so many people have asked me to do it. And I, it's just so overwhelming to me because I'm thinking like, no one will buy my clothing <laughs> because like I would want to do like cargoes and this and that. So I don't know, maybe like a, a 10 piece. Like it's just so, a clothing line is so overwhelming to me. I mean, with Rue on Euphoria wearing, I mean, I feel like this could be I a know, perfect right? Yeah, now's my time. Now my, now's my time. Okay. Cargoes. Um, <laughs> yeah, cargoes are coming back. You heard it here first. Um, so you have hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. Um, what advice do you have for someone who's a stylist who's just starting out? Well, honestly, it's so much easier now than ever before. I mean, like, you don't have to be a global stylist, but, like, every single place, wherever you live, it's kind of amazing now. Like, there's so many eyes on you now, and it's so easy, and it's so accessible, and it's so accessible. It's so easy to get in touch with people. It's kind of, it blows my mind how somebody from around the world can just DM you and get in touch with you. Like, had that been the case like 20 years, you know what it was like to try to get somebody's email like 15 years ago? It was like impossible. Yeah. So it's kind of amazing. So like, I think that all of these in between department stores and, and just helping people with their closets and whatnot, it's like, I think it's just so much easier to create your own business, to create your own job now in this industry than ever before. And, you know, and it could be on just local levels in the sense like stylists, like help, help somebody for X amount of dollars per hour, clean out their closet and put their looks together and, and basically do what we do anyway, which is photograph their looks and, you know, for the, whatever they events that they have and whatnot. It's not, it's not as inaccessible as people think. think. And do you think that an up and coming stylist should truly cultivate their personal style first? I mean, I think they already have it. You know what I mean? Like somebody who wants to be a stylist is already in it. You know, they are, they're already, I I think in love with fashion, loves to play with fashion, you know, just respects fashion. So I think that's what, if you are going to be a stylist, you have to already have that inside of you. So, um, you know, I don't think, but I also think that it's important for your clients because I've seen some stylists and I'm like, seriously, you just showed up to work like that? Like, <laughs> like, like I think that your clients need to be inspired. Right. You know? Just like just as much as I'm inspired by my clients, my clients want to see what I look like too. Like the best part of working with Lauren Hill is like we would have style wars. Like <laughs> she was so into, fa- she still is so into fashion and it was so awesome to have her put a look on and then like I'd put a look on and be like, <laughs> you know, it was like these style wars and, and it's really fun to think about it. Like the walk off. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> Who are some designers that you are loving right now? Um, I, well, there's so many, I mean, I'm loving this brand Casablanca. It's, I think it's a men's brand. It's a, it is a men's brand, but I, women wear it. Um, I love Alexander Vautier. I love Stefan Roland. I love Olivier from Balmain. I love, um, oh God, I don't have any real favorites, but yeah, you can't, you can't in your world. Uh -uh. So let's talk about the Emmy nomination. Oh my God. Crazy. If there's any Emmy voters here, someone please vote for me. <laughs> I'm up against like all the drag queens. Okay. I'm so screwed. <laughs> okay. Okay. Please. I love it. So I really am though. <laughs> let's talk about, you know, one hearing about that, but also the work you did to get there. Oh my God. It was a beast. 
It was a beast. Coachella was a beast. I mean, there was a beast. It was eight months, I believe, of just insane preparation. But it was so important. It was like such a, but so was Formation World Tour. It was like in the same, like everything that I do with Beyonce is like so well thought out and well, it's just, she can't lose because she works so hard. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think that for Coachella, it was, I mean, you didn't, I don't even think you really saw it in the film, but there were like thousands of costumes, like thousands of costumes. I had hundreds of people on that stage. We had to, we were trying to, you know, we had to see what was going to look good on that stage. So every day it was a different costume, like on the set during rehearsal to see if that worked. Every day it was a different color. It was a few different colors. It was it was just, it's truly unbelievable. And it's like during like Grammys and award seasons and whatnot, I used to, we all hang out at Lorraine Schwartz room at the peninsula and every stylist, Rob and Marielle and, and, um, uh, Brad, you know, everybody comes and we all talk and whatnot. And they're all getting their, their, their jewelry for the clients that they're working with. Nobody, like I talk to everybody and it's like, Nobody really has to do all the stuff that I had to do. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening here? Like, so it's like, you know, like even for anything that, that Beyonce did that I did for Red Carpet, like I designed, I designed the jewelry with Lorraine to go with the dress. Like that doesn't even exist. And it's like for stuff, like it just took, I mean, listen, I have like 17 books, like big, uh, uh, um, what are they called? Binders. And it was just, it's just sketches and fabric swatches and shapes. And I mean, we're trying to get the look of that. Like what, what was the, the band look going to be? And it could have been, and and it's so simple. It turned out so simple. It's like, there were like turtleneck bodysuits for the women. And it's just like, really? Like you guys don't even know that there were like (laughs) 63 options before we got there, you know? So, right. And it's usually, that's usually the case. The simplest things are usually take the most time and the most amount of work and the most expensive. <laughs> well, it's nice to hear the behind the scenes of it because I think we see the final product, right. yeah. but just knowing like the work that goes into something like this is 63 oh, revisions and t- it's everything. But obviously now for the rest of your life, you are Emmy nominated stylist. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, true. I'm at least okay. Emmy nominated. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap with some oh. rapid fire questions. Okay. okay. And then we're going to open up to Q&A. So get your questions ready. The definition of style to me is? I think it's just being honest and true to yourself. And if you, if you believe it, I'm going to believe it. My greatest lesson I've learned is? Anything is possible. I mean, I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'm not supposed to be here. You know <laughs> what I mean? I'm not supposed to be styling Beyonce. Like, from a small town. My parents were 17 years old. Like anything is possible. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. We're going to open it up to Q&A. So get your questions ready. And if you want to raise your hand, we'll send a mic your way. Oh, right there in the back. Yeah. No, no, no. You're good. She's so cute. I know. Hi, Marnie. Hey. You're amazing. <laughs> Thank you. You're so sickening. Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry. I was trying to hold it in. But um, okay. What does the like you've accomplished so much? You've literally redefined styling. You've created. You brought individualism back, which I'm so happy for. 
what is what does the future hold for you? Like what what, what where do you go? I know. Here? I don't know. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm I think we're I'm trying to figure it out. There's a lot of things that I'm working on that I want to do. Um, I feel like in terms of styling, I feel like I'm uh, I'm obviously always going to be there for my clients and whatnot. And um, but there are like new things that I want to do. There's products that are that I've had to make for my clients that are not even available. You know what I mean? Like we've had to make some pretty crazy things and it's like, oh, yeah, they're not even they're not available. So I'm thinking, you know, some product lines and just a couple of collaborations with some people coming up. So, yeah, <laughs> exciting. That's the immediate future. Long time future. There's a boat somewhere in uh, the Mediterranean that has my name all over it. Cool. <laughs> and right. a man, actually, too. <laughs> there, yeah. Manifest that. Let's put this out yeah, into the world. Yeah, I'm putting sure. it out of the world. I'm starting today. It's like Amazing. first time in like five years. I've been too busy. Awesome. <laughs> fair, fair. Okay, so if you could tell yourself, you know, back in your 20s, um, the most valuable piece of advice, what would it be? So five years ago, what would I have been <laughs> telling myself? Um, I think, I think, listen, I think I had the greatest, I was just telling about this, um, but just somebody else, like, I think the greatest, the greatest gift that I was given were my parents and like my uncles, like I had five uncles who told me I was the most beautiful thing in the world that I can do anything in the world. Like, so it's like having that the, that masculine energy telling you that you can be anything and you can do anything. And like, and of course, my mother and my aunts and everybody. But just always having those people behind me and saying like, you know, like I was never afraid. Like I was never afraid to go and just put my neck out there. But I always worked like harder than anybody. Like, and I just knew that that was going to always be the key. Like if I can get somewhere, if I can get that opportunity... I'm never letting it go. Like, and I never did. Like, I just had to, I just knew that I had to work harder than everybody else. Wasn't given anything. Wasn't given, you know, my parents didn't know somebody who knew somebody who knew, my parents knew nobody. <laughs> so it was like, I was always, just knew that I, I, it was, so I, I mean, I don't know what, the only thing to say is my 20 year old self was, it's just going to be insane. And write it down. Like, I really wish I kept a better journal of my life, of where I've been and who I've met and the conversations I've had and whatnot. And I think in the Instagram world, it's like really important because everything is so 24 hours that I'm really trying to tell kids, like, write these things down, mm -hmm. save these pictures, save these things, because it's going to be really important because you don't know who you're going to lose around, along the way. And it's like, and to not have any tangible Physical. memories of those people, it's like important. So to wrap up, be confident, work hard, work and hard. anything is possible. Anything is possible. Thank you so much, Marnie. <laughs> Yay. Thank you all for coming. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur the ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com. So you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.